Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spanish Football Podcast. It's producer Al, Alex Kirkland here with uh, Sid Lowe. How are you doing, Sid? I'm all right, thank you. How are you, Al? Yeah, pretty good. We were desperately trying to find a window in which both you and Kitro, both on your respective holidays, could join us for today's podcast. It proved to be simply impossible. However, do not fear Kitro fans. Uh, he will be joining us in just a moment. Of course, if you're in the UK, you could have seen Kitro on your TV screens this weekend on La Liga TV. Um, lots of praise I saw for, for Kitro and not just for his magnificent hair and beard. Um, <laughs> Seeds, your, your holiday is getting more and more theoretical by, by the second. Um, of course, you went to not one but two La Liga games this weekend, didn't you? I did, yeah. I, I did, the, did the little bass double. To be, to be honest, I, under normal circumstances, if I wasn't on holiday, so this is, this is where the holiday becomes slightly less theoretical, I would have stayed in the Basque country and gone to Real Sociedad the following day, having been at yeah. um, Alaves and Athletic on Saturday, I would have stayed to go, go to Real Sociedad the following day. Or I would have come back to Madrid and gone to Atletico Madrid last night, or maybe even gone down to Valencia. But it wasn't to be, so it was, it was just the two. Um, two quite enjoyable games, actually. Alaves Mallorca was, was better than I expected it to be, certainly in the, in the first half, very, really quite open. And the Athletic game, I thought, was brilliant. And it was really enjoyable, and more than anything else. And I realise that we've talked about this a lot, and it feels like maybe we get obsessed about it, and people might be saying, get on with the actual football. But genuinely, the return of fans this weekend was really special. Now, I know fans returned last weekend, but that, I think that didn't feel like quite the step that this weekend felt like for a number of reasons, which we'll go into over the course of the programme. Um, but this weekend felt like a real return. And one of the reasons for that was that that return included uh, Athletic against Barcelona, obviously two of the three teams that have spent their entire history in the first division at San Mames, which is a genuinely special stadium. And I haven't heard noise like that for 18 months uh, it was really quite something and and by the way I, I really do mean that despite having been at, at games in the Euros this summer with a possible exception of the semi-final between Spain and Italy at Wembley but it was it was absolutely fantastic more on all of that in a second uh, first let's hear from Kitro who is on the way to the beach as we speak um, but he's gonna bring us his customary roundup of this weekend's results on match day two Hello everyone. Yes, I am on holiday in theory. It's a theoretical holiday. It's it's a Sid Lowe kind of holiday whereby you are on holiday but you sort of continue to work and receive disapproving looks from your family. Anyway, uh, I am in theory supposed to be going to the beach so I'm not joining you live but what I am going to do is tell you what happened on match day two in La Liga. It all kicked off on Friday evening, an Andalusian derby between Betis and Cadiz. Cadiz taking the lead through Alvaro Negredo, scoring a penalty on his 36th birthday. It was levelled up by Juan Mido for Real Betis and it finished 1-1. Then on Saturday, Mallorca continued their impressive start to the season. They uh, drew with Betis last weekend and they went to the Estadio Mendizorza and beat Alaves by a goal to nil. Fernino scoring on his debut for Mallorca, he'd scored for Villarreal on his debut at Mendizorroza last year as well. And he did the same with 10 minutes to go, a, um, a deserved win for Mallorca. Then Granada and Valencia played out a 1-1 draw. Uh, Valencia scoring a, a late equaliser from Carlos Soler. Yet another penalty from Carlos Soler, cancelling out Luis Suarez's fantastic opening goal for Granada. Uh, Espanyol and Villarreal played out another 
nil-nil draw. Remember, these two sides have played out nil-nil draws on the opening weekend of the season. They're still to score, but they're still to concede as well. Then Saturday night, we had a fantastic game at San Mames between Athletic Club and Barcelona. Inigo Martinez heading Athletic Club ahead five minutes into the second half, only for Memphis Depay to absolutely spank home and equaliser his first goal for Barcelona with 15 minutes to go. Sydney was there. He'll tell us all about it. Then on Sunday, we had uh, Real Sociedad beating Rayo Vallecano by a goal to nil. Mikel Oyarzabal with the only goal of the game from the penalty spot. A pretty spirited showing from Rayo, who still don't have a striker, still playing without a striker, but might get a striker before the end of the transfer window. Uh, Atletico Madrid beating Elche by a goal to nil. The champions overcoming uh, Elche thanks to another goal from Angel Correa. Lovely strike from Correa. Really confident finish. His third goal of the season. He scored nine in the whole of last season for Atletico Madrid. That was his best ever scoring season for Los Rojiblancos. He's a third of the way there already and we're only two games into the season. Remember Luis Suarez hasn't been starting in these opening two weeks. He was on the bench last week. He was on the bench this week. And Atletico Madrid have been linked with getting another striker. Do they need another striker if Angel Correa is going to continue to play uh, like he has been doing in these opening couple of weeks and actually following on his form from the back end of last season? And then the final game of the weekend saw Levante and Real Madrid play out a fabulous, fascinating, thrilling, pulsating 3-3 draw at the Ciudad de Valencia Stadium. Gareth Bale giving Real Madrid the lead with his first goal for Real Madrid in almost two years. Then Levante turning things round right at the start of the second half. Roger Martí and Campagna uh, with two goals in the uh, opening 11 minutes of the second half. Only for Vinicius to equalise. Only for Robert Pierre to then give Levante the lead. Only for Vinicius to equalise again. Oh, and Levante goalkeeper Aito Fernandes got sent off with three minutes to go. Everything happened in the game. There is lots and lots and lots and lots and lots for you guys to unpack so I'll hand it back over to you Thank you Kitro, nice of you to make a contribution uh, from afar Um, Seeds, let's uh, go in depth on a few of this weekend's games then Um, There's only one place to start really I think and that's a game that you weren't at uh, but was absolutely the game of the weekend uh, which was Levante 3 Real Madrid 3 Um, You go back over the last few seasons and you look at the games that Levante have been involved in in especially against the big clubs against Barcelona against Real Madrid against Atletico as, uh, as well they are consistently incredibly entertaining Levante seemingly managing to be simultaneously both a, a really brilliant team in in some ways and, and quite a bad team in in, in others can you explain uh, the the phenomenon that is Levante to us Sid I'm gonna try um because I don't think it is that <laughs> easy to explain and there are times when you watch them and you think would you know would, would someone please help me grasp this help me understand how this happens um obviously first things first they are they are very much a candidate for our hashtag always watch this time it's Levante isn't it, 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 it oh absolutely there's no I think there's, there's no, there is no, no question, question about it's, that it's Levante um, it's partly about Paco Lopez the manager who has a mindset of freedom for his players but with intensity a desire to attack teams which at times is risky um, and doesn't always pay off in fact uh, there was an interview with 
I must confess, I can't remember which of their players it was after last weekend when they were they were one 0 up against against Cardiff and conceded the 97th minute equaliser, and they were talking about the style and the way that they play. And he said, "Look, it's true that there are some weeks when this costs us the way that we play, the way that we push people forward, that we try and get really high up in up the pitch, um, and then we get caught out at the other end." They're a really nice team to watch, partly because they want to be a nice team to watch because they're one of these teams that quite enjoys the game being open and a little bit wild and, and they don't mind Which is trading. incredibly rare these days, right? That, that seems... I mean, they're one of the only teams that I can think of that seem to relish that, that sort of openness and that kind of unpredictability. It seems like pretty much every other team does everything it can to avoid that. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's a really, really important point is that teams who know their limitations um, tend to look at it and think, OK, let's minimise risk. Um, Levante seems to want to embrace it and, and want to maximise it. And they are different from some teams. So, for example, and to go on a, a very slight um, tangent here, the, the game against that I saw on Saturday afternoon between Mallorca and Alaves, I was really struck by Mallorca and Alaves' determination to bring the ball out from the back, to have the goal kicks taken short within the penalty area, to then try and invite the other team on, play around them, and then into the open space beyond. And there was a willingness to try and play, which, when you look at two teams who could well be fighting against relegation. And by the way, let's not hide this. Levante, in theory, are a team whose objective can only be don't go down. Although there's a question mark about whether they should actually be aspiring to more. And, and they played like that up to a certain point in the pitch. And then, of course, it becomes either a bit more direct or they're not really sure where to go. But there's a willingness to do that. I think there's a willingness to do that from a lot of teams. To have a bit of the ball, to almost be defensive in possession, if you're something. And Levante are not that. So, you know, you could argue that this idea that teams are protective isn't necessarily a refusal to have the ball, because I think in, a lot, in Spain, in a lot of cases, they do want the ball. Levante sort of don't necessarily want the ball very much. They want to go for teams more. Um, and they are a very nice team to watch, partly because it's not just that they have good players. And by the way, they do have good players. You know, Morales is, is, is lovely to watch. De Frutos has been brilliant over the last year. I mean, genuinely quite surprisingly so. I, I must admit, and you, know, you and Phil will have seen more of him, I didn't know very much about him, and, and I think he's been fantastic. Campania is a wonderful footballer. Yes. Brilliant, brilliant. He to really watch. is. Enes Vardy is, 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 has got a really nice touch, and he, you know, he came on late in yesterday's game, so he didn't start. And these are good players, and it's, but it's not just that here's a good player, here's a bunch of good players, and a manager says, go and play, boys. They're good players who combine well, who collectively play well, but then are really quite weak at the other end, and they trade blows. And in a way, this is counterintuitive, it doesn't make sense. That this team that trades blows, it seems to have got them really good results against the big teams, and not so, or you know comparatively good results, and not such good results against the small one. Now, on on the face of it, normal intuition would say, oh, if you're really open and you trade blows and you've got good players, you'll beat the smaller teams. But when it comes to the big teams, you'll be so open that they'll destroy you. Actually, the opposite tends to happen. Now, I think it's because they actually quite like being put under pressure and then kind of breaking through that pressure. They quite like being pushed back into the area and suddenly appearing at the other end. Uh, so they can, they can kind of do both things because they're quite dynamic and quite direct. And their results are brilliant. Look, for example, the last three home games from Levante have been a 3-3 draw with Barcelona. In the league, this is a 2-2 draw with Cadiz and now a 3-3 draw with Real Madrid. Last season, they beat... Sorry, they drew with Barcelona in that 3-3 draw. They beat Real Madrid and they beat Andrew Atletico Madrid, <laughs> the champions. You know, no one, they took eight points from, from those three clubs. No one else in La Liga took as many. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that Cardiff might have taken seven 
And Getafe and Sevilla might have taken five from those three teams. But no one quite does it like that. But it's not just that. It's going back a long time. Look, this is... Paco Lopez has been manager since... I think it's 2018, isn't it? His Levante team have beaten Real Madrid three times now. And last night very nearly did as well. Let's talk about Real Madrid. Um, In the first half, you had Isco running the show. You had Gareth Bale amongst the goals. You had Carlo Ancelotti on the touchline. As Kitro pointed out on Twitter... Um, is this some kind of time loop? Are we back in 2014 <laughs> and we just don't realise it? It was, it, I mean, it really was amazing watching Isco, Isco. play like that. Well, I mean, where, where has that player been? I mean, it, it, I mean, look, we talk about this when, when, when we talk about players, we talk about this a lot. We talk about, um, and it says, becomes a slightly cliched word and apologies for, for using it. We talk a lot about continuity. Now, obviously, you can only get continuity by performing well because managers are under pressure and they don't have time and they're not going to wait for you. And we talked about this with, with Erdegaard, for example. And Isco didn't really get that continuity, but it was largely his own fault. And I think he recognises that. I think we recognise that. There were times, put bluntly, that he looked out of shape. He looked too big and he looked slow. Um, but he didn't have the continuity. And of course, that becomes a... That, while that can be a virtuous circle if you're playing well, it becomes the opposite, I suppose, a, a, a vicious circle, a vicious spiral, I suppose. Um, when you're playing, when you're playing badly, and and he didn't get that. But what was so striking about this Cisco performance wasn't the touch and the technique, because we know he's got that. We know that he, you know, he can play. He's a very, very talented footballer. What was so striking about it was the speed of him, the the way that he seemed to be bursting past people. He physically, I still thought his body shape looks slightly big. But he, he physically looked really, really good last night in that first half. And, and you're right, you go, where's this guy been? Because, and if, by the way, if Ancelotti genuinely can get the best out of Bale and Hazard and Isco, then Real Madrid have, and we all know this, and I know it's stating the bleeding obvious, they have three really good players there. Really good players. Isco helped to give Real Madrid uh, the control in the first half that, that you might have thought the team might lack without Luka Modric and without Tony Cross. Mm. Uh, the second half was, was a very different story. It was, uh, and it's difficult to judge whether it was a diff- different story because Levante scored their first goal so early and that changed everything mentally and, and, and in terms of kind of, I don't know, I suppose the... the the extent to which they were plugged into the game, to use a Spanishism, um, or whether that goal was a product of a, of, of a shift at ha- half-time or a shift in mentality in terms of the way they went out, because it happens too early to really be able to properly judge that. Um, Madrid did lose control. I think there we did start to see the absence of Modric, um, and obviously Isco was playing in a midfield three rather than one of the front three, and I personally think he's tended to play quite well not necessarily as a midfield three but somewhere between the forward line and the midfield not really as a forward I don't like him in a front three I like him with, with that ability to come a little bit deeper and play and then the game did slip away from him Ancelotti made a, tre- a treble change mm. on 60 minutes which I think was I mean he said after the game that it was purely about freshness about physicality not about players but it was very striking to see and it did feel like a message or maybe it felt like a I wouldn't call it panic, but a kind of, oh, OK, this is going, let's, let's break this Yeah, up. I mean, you could call it panic or you could, you could call it kind of decisive action, I guess, yes, because it came immediately after can. conceding that second goal. Absolutely you could, yeah. And, and I suppose you would argue that it did work in that Rodrigo and Vinicius were, were, were hugely important for Real Madrid. I'm not sure it ever really gave them control back, though. No. I think the game went into a, a slightly different phase because Madrid had been good in the first half. I mean, 
I'm, I'm reluctant to go too far because it's only week two and it was only half the game and so on. But I, I was really impressed with Madrid in the first half. And then the second, they did lose control and Levante really should have put it beyond them because they're 3-2 up when, uh, when Cantado hits the post, goes round Courtois and hits the post and, and, and probably should have scored, although the, the angle is quite difficult. And then Vinicius was was just fantastic in the kind of game and I'm going to put yes. the I'm going to put the caveat yes. in at the start because because we are about to um, wax lyrical about Vinicius but I'm going to put the caveat in the start because people will will say this and I think it's right to analyze it within its context in the kind of game that suits him very open a lot of space a team either backtracking or stepping forward enough that you can run beyond them and into the space behind them. Um, one of those two you know those two things are the two things that happen on his two goals and indeed on the red card when it's Vinicius who's taken down by um, by Andres Fernandez for the for the red card that ends up with with Levante playing with an outfield player in goal which we love by the way I don't know about you but Always. I, I love to see that um, but Vinicius was absolutely brilliant and here's the thing both of his goals were fabulously taken and taken in a way that was incredibly calm. And of course, this is the big thing that we've all been doubting with Vinicius. Does he finish well enough? Is he calm enough? Now, as listeners to this pod will know, I for ages have been defending Vinicius. I for ages have been saying, I like him because he makes things happen. Even if it's often chaotic, even if it doesn't feel like he's totally in control, even if, it, you know, even if it, sometimes he makes things happen that can, can exasperate you and, and leave you thinking, oh my God, this guy just, just can't kick a ball in a straight line when it comes to finishing. Yesterday, the two finishes were, were, were fantastic. And let's not forget that he's still only 21. Mm. It was interesting listening to Carlo Ancelotti, not after this game, in fact, but after the first game of the season in which Vinicius also scored, talking about Vinicius's goal scoring and saying that he'd had a conversation with Vinicius and talking about the, how difficult it is for players to score goals, having taken five or six or more touches, how you know, so many goals come after one or two touches and it's much easier to score in those kind of situations than it is in the kind of situations in which Vinicius tends to, to, to find himself. As you say, the, you know, the conditions in this game, it was set up perfectly for Vinicius to, to thrive. That first goal, I mean, how many times have we seen Vinicius you know, through on goal exactly pretty much play by play that kind of move only to get the finish wrong last night uh, yes. he got it exactly right and that second goal I mean my goodness me the first time uh, seeing it live I, I did not know what had happened uh, partly because I was writing at the same time as, as watching as no. we so often are so I needed a replay anyway even after a couple of replays uh, it, it took me a couple of replays to think this, this is an incredible incredible goal I have to confess, I mentioned to you later on, subsequently watching some of the highlights back, there's one angle from behind the goal and watching him and watching his kind of his body shape. And I, I started, I hate to say it, I started to doubt. I was like, did he, did he mm. mean it? Is it definitely not an attempted sort of floated cross to the far post? I don't want, we, we don't want to believe that's it, do we? We want to believe. No. We want to believe that he meant it. Well, he said after the game that he, that he struck it with his toe. It's not quite his toe, is it? It's not a toe poke as such. There's a little bit of his foot under the ball. There's a li- it, it, it kind of goes in like a balloon, doesn't it? In that it sort of floats into yeah. the far corner. To the extent that Andres Fernandes doesn't seem to quite realise either. Well, you it seemed a bit the, like it was, watched... it was deflected almost at first. And I think uh, listening yes, to the, exactly the commentators that. on Spanish TV were equally confused because the trajectory of the, of the ball was so strange. Yeah, exactly that. It did feel like it had been deflected, like it had somehow looped up and spun. And Andres Fernandez seemed to be kind of watching it go as if to think, well, that's wrong. 
<laughs> that can't go in from there. Um, very briefly, just to pick up on what you said, Ancelotti talking about first time finishing. Of course, neither of these goals were that. These goals were the, were the opposite. He must have had the best part of four or five touches in front of uh, before the final touch in both of these. Uh, I suppose the example of what Ancelotti is saying is, is the Gareth Bale goal in the first half. You know, you may not do very much, but boom, the ball comes through, it's in the net. Partly, um, you know, this is because if you strike the ball first time, you don't give the goalkeeper time to react. You don't give the goalkeeper time to see what's coming or to set himself. And that, that means that a, a slightly less accurate shot is more likely to, well, to go and in. And you don't have time to overthink it either. I think that's the exactly. problem sometimes. I, th- I think with Vinicius, I th- I th- and I think with Vinicius is definitely one of them because I think there's no doubt that there's a, there's a sense of anxiety there. And did you notice that Vinicius yesterday talked about the work he's been doing and he made a point of adding psychological work? He made a point of saying that, which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, look, you know, the Gareth Bale goal, think about the amount of times that Luis Suarez has scored goals. Before. He hasn't actually hit that very well, but it goes in anyway because he hits it early, hits it first time and doesn't give the goalkeeper time. These two goals are totally different. And I think that makes them very interesting because in both times he had um, time to think. As you say, the first goal, we've seen that lots of times and we've seen him then either hit it straight at the goalkeeper or scuff it. We haven't seen him very often, I think, although... You know, it, it may well be that if we look back over the videos, I'd be proven wrong. I can't think of many times that he's even tried with his left foot. I felt like in that position in previous times, he would have tried to go with the outside of his right to finish mm-hmm. and maybe therefore get the angle wrong because he couldn't properly put his foot around the ball. And I thought that was very interesting. It was very, very calm. The, the second goal, you know, I suppose it's just a, a sort of a, a unique attempt and, and it's brilliant, but I think it's the calmness of the two that, that suggests something shifting in him. As I say, he's only 21. It may well be that given continuity and confidence that, that he'll have, you know, that, that this will happen more often. Listen, let's move on because that was the game of the weekend, no question, but we've got lots more to talk about as well. As you mentioned, you were at San Mamez for Athletic Club 1, Barca 1. Sounded like it was pretty special to, to, to be there and to see a, a very, very impressive Athletic Club a performance was this the most Marcelino-like athletic that we've we've seen so far? Do you think? I think, um, and this is important. I think it was the most Marcelino-like athletic we've seen with him, and I think it was the most athletic athletic we've seen with him mm. as well. And I think that's one of the things that is beneficial um, about him being the athletic club manager. And I think the the, the basic approach to how to play is broadly similar he talked after the game and not least because I asked him this directly about coming to San Mames as an opponent over the years and coming and feeling like this isn't going to be very much fun you use that great Spanish word that we use a lot suffer you come here to suffer and he said I now want to make it so that teams come here and suffer and the reason he asked in those terms was because sorry he answered in those terms was because I was asking him about you know there was a lot of talk about San Mames I said does this have a purely footballing implication does San Mames make it easier to play in this way you know that that kind of intensity that aggressiveness is that easy in an environment in which it's noisy in which it feels like the fans are a, con, a, a con, continuity or a, sorry a continuation of of what's happening on the pitch or part of the whole process and 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 he said that that he thought so and and I think you're right those two things came together i mean it is remarkable really let's 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 lay this down because i was thinking about this the other day and 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 i think it's significant Marcelino took over and his first game in charge was a 3-2 defeat to Barcelona, which, by the way, was pretty good as well. You know, pretty exciting, very open, a lot of uh, trading of blows and so on. Marcelino as manager of Athletic Club 
has played two Copa del Rey finals. He's won the Super Cup. He's beaten Atletico, Barcelona and Real Madrid. But he hadn't yet had a night like this. He hadn't yet seen fans at Summer Mess. And it feels different. And I think for many clubs it feels different. And I, I certainly don't want to diminish the significance of support for football clubs all, all the way across Spain. But it's certainly true that Athletic, it, it's, it plays a part. And I think in particular for this Athletic and the way that they play, what they don't have, of course, still is a goal scorer. And there was quite a lot of debate in the build-up to this game about Iñaki Williams and the pressure put on Iñaki Williams to be a goal scorer. And Marcelino came out and basically said he's not going to be one. Don't ask him to be that. You know, this isn't a guy that gets 15, 20 goals a season. Um, in fact, actually, if you look at the stats, I believe I'm right in saying that he's got six, something like three years in a row. I think he's, if you look at his career totals, it's a six, seven or eight, then one season or 13 or 14, and then six, seven or eight again. So basically, this is what, what his level is. They don't really have that goal scorer, but he was brilliant against, against Barcelona. He ran Eric Garcia ragged. He kept going at them. He was aggressive. Marcelino also hinted at something else which I thought was interesting. And, and tell me what you think about this theory. Marcelino suggested two or three times we need the fans' help. He talked two or three times about the pressure put on the players and it was too much. He actually used the phrase we shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes because of the sense of the depth of identity. That pressure at times can be, can be too much for players like Iñaki Williams. Now this is where I say tell me what you think about this theory. My theory is that when a club like Athletic plays without fans... They get the worst of both worlds because they get the pressure of, that comes with Athletic with the very high. And I think if you don't live in Bilbao, you possibly don't always appreciate this. The very high kind of social and media pressure on the players, the scrutiny, the sense that these players don't care enough because obviously everyone else cares so much. It's, it's so traditional in many ways, the club, that the kind of modern players, I think probably there's a, probably a kind of a, a, an inbuilt sense of reject, not rejection, but just sort of disconnect that maybe doesn't happen quite as much at other clubs. So I think they have all that pressure without having the good thing that goes with it, which is that on match days, you're in the stadium yeah. and those same people who pressure you then carry you. So in other words, they got the bad part of the pressure because all that stuff is still there. All that surroundings, what Barcelona fans would refer to as the entorno, is still there. But on the day when you need them, the fans aren't. And I personally think, I don't know about you, but in the Copa del Rey final, particularly against Real Sociedad, I think the Barcelona final is different, but against Real Sociedad, I think you saw a frightened team. I think you saw too many players aware of the enormity of the moment, but without that pressure and support to kind of carry them through it. Yeah, I think it's a good theory, Sid. I think it's a good theory. Um, as for Barcelona, a word about Memphis Depay, because I don't know about you, uh, but I feel like I drastically underestimated what Me a good too. player he, he <laughs> is. Now, that's just ignorance on my part. I just hadn't seen enough of him for, for a few years because I don't, I don't watch a lot or any French football. But... It's, yes, it's only two games, only two La Liga games so far. But I, th I just think he's been electric for, for Barcelona yeah. in, in both those games. He really has. Can I give you another theory? My theory on Memphis Depay, uh, and I, I did ask Ronald Koeman this. By the way, just a very slight aside, it's lovely to be back in press conferences, to be physically in with managers, to be able to have a, a, not a conversation, but ask properly. And even Koeman liked it because Barcelona is still not doing it. They're still doing virtual through Zoom. Kuman sat down and then it occurred to me he'd never seen any of us before. He sat down and he said, good evening, it's lovely to see you. I was like, wow. That's... And he genuinely, I think he meant it as well. You know, the smile on his face suggested he actually meant it. Anyway, so the question I asked Kuman, and, and I'm going to give you another theory. My theory with Depay is the best thing about Depay, and pardon my French, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit that this is Barcelona. 
He doesn't give a shit that this is Athletic that he's up against. And he certainly doesn't give a shit who was there before. Now, this is a guy who's not frightened. And I think too many players at Barcelona have lacked that. And I think one of the things that's going to be useful about Depay... Now, this doesn't automatically make him a great player. And certainly it, it doesn't explain his talent. But I think it explains the application of his talent. And I think it might help to explain why this season could be beneficial and why he could be useful. I think he's not weighed down by all of this. And I think Barcelona probably needed a bit of this. Now, obviously, the question will be, could this have been good with him and Messi? You know, could this have worked? Could he have maintained this attitude? And could it have been really beneficial for Messi too? But without Messi and looking, not necessarily for leadership, at least not in the traditional sense, looking for someone who says, OK, yeah, I'll have this. Uh, and I, I think that's part of why, why, he could be, why he could be really, really good. He certainly couldn't have played in, in the same way with Messi in the, in the team because he has he made himself yeah. the focal point in, in, in the way that, that Messi was. He's playing in this central position but with the freedom to move in, in, in much the same way that, that, that Messi had. So I think he absolutely couldn't have imposed himself on, on the team and played with this kind of authority demanding the, the ball because you know, in, a, in a Messi team there's only one player that can do that and yeah. that is Messi. Although, of course, PSG may well be about to test out that, well, that theory with, with Neymar. And, well, exactly. And obviously, look, you know, Barcelona, and, and I, I, I too thought this, that the, the liberated player was going to be Griezmann. Now, Griezmann still can be, because if he's coming off the right, he can play with some freedom, while Depay plays off the centre, but tends to drift left. So that's the good thing. They're not necessarily going to cross paths and get in each other's way very much. Because Depay's movement, as you say, is at the moment it's centre going left or left going centre. Griezmann's, in theory, is what Messi used to do, sort of right of centre coming in. Uh, and so they may well encounter each other in the middle, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but hopefully they won't tread on each other's toes. And I think this is where someone like uh, Brathwaite, despite missing a real sitter, can be useful. Because look, we've talked about this. Martin Brathwaite's level is not the level of some of the other players technically and so on, but he's bright and he'll do those things and he'll, and he'll, he'll, he'll adapt his position accordingly. Um, it's not an easy fit, but it, but it can fit. And, and, and yeah, I think Depay's personality... Is, is going to be almost as important as the way that he plays. By the way, the goal itself is, is, is just outrageous. Oh, yes. It's one of those that it, it makes you just kind of gasp yes. a little bit when you, when, when, when well, you see it. Well, it makes you think it's um, gone uh, wide. You think, is that, I mean, partly, of course, because there's no away fans at San Mamés. Not, not yet, anyway. And there was silence for about a, a second. And I think it's part because we all thought, oh, that was close. I know, hang on, it's actually in the net. Um, a brief word, by the way, just, just, just to pick up on it, and I think there is a leadership question here as well and a responsibility question. I thought Frankie de Jong was absolutely fantastic. Oh, yes. I mean, this was the Frankie de Jong, not that we expected Barcelona to, to get, but that we kind of hoped that Barcelona were, were getting when he, when he arrived. I mean, he hasn't always looked like that player for, for Barcelona for all kinds of reasons we don't have time to get into now. But performances like this, yes, I agree. He absolutely was the, the leader in, in midfield. And energy as well. Uh, and, 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 you know, Frankie de Jong is not a player who immediately you look at and think athlete. You know, he's not especially tall. He's not especially quick or doesn't appear to be. He doesn't look muscular. But the coverage of ground, and there was one move. He was everywhere. There was one move that he started in his own area. And then he was one providing the penultimate pass at the other end as well. You look at the goal, and he's, he's not the only one in fairness, and, and I, but, but I think he's, he's part of it. The goal, I think, is Busquets, him, Sergio Roberto and Griezmann, all of whom just get to the ball in time. So all of them have to make kind of a stretch or an effort to get to the ball. And all of whom just about manage to knock it onto the right person before it eventually goes to, 
to Depay. Now, look, let's not take anything away from Depay because it still feels like an individual goal in some ways. But he had four chains, if you, uh, four, four stages in that chain, if you like, all of them kind of at the limit and all of them making it. But the, what, the thing that I really liked about De Jong, and actually Kuman did talk about this as well, and, and, and I thought it was interesting, is, is how quickly he moves the ball. So the ball comes to him, boom, it's gone again. And it's gone again, and of course what that does is it short-circuits any attempt to close him down. And, and, and it's gone, but then he's gone to go and get it again. And I, I thought he was, in the midst of a mad game, he seemed to be totally in control. He seemed to, he seemed to understand, okay, this is how we get through this. In a way that I don't think anyone else, even Busquets, I don't think anyone else in the Barcelona team really understood the way that he did. A very quick word about Atletico Madrid's 1-0 win over Elche. In fact, not really about Atletico Madrid's 1-0 win over Elche no. because the game itself was, was quite scrappy and not, not all that much to, to write home about. But the occasion, the fact that um, Atletico Madrid's fans at last got to watch their team and got to see Coque lift the, lift the uh, La Liga trophy before kickoff, it, it looked pretty special. Yeah, it was done really nicely, wasn't it? Um, so they, they laid a, an Atletico Madrid badge made up of 379 roses, uh, red and white roses, which won for each of the Atletico Madrid uh, season ticket holders who, who lost their lives over the last uh, what is it, 18 months since they last played March of 2020. Uh, they were handed the trophy, which Coque lifted with the uh, season ticket holder number one, which is, is purely a question of antiquity. Um, is that the right word for people? I don't know if uh, it longevity, is. Longevity, I guess, in, in I terms of being a member. Rather, yeah. yeah, longevity. Um, and then, and then, then you had, obviously, the guard of honour onto the pitch. You didn't actually have a celebration as such, but it was nice that the, the trophy was there. And then I was also very caught, uh, very kind of caught up in, in this idea um, of... Luis Suarez and just the sort of the slight strangeness of you've got this guy who is an icon now and a hero at Atletico Madrid and, and I admit I'm overplaying it now but allow me to overplay it to paint this picture the guy that led them to an impossible league title the guy that came and scored the goals that was the Suarez zone as, as Simeone took, uh, called it the, this guy that was all heart that was very much the living embodiment of what Atletico like to think is their identity, or at least certainly with Cholo Simeone, what Atletico like to think is their identity. He is in some ways the perfect Atletico Madrid player, and this is the guy that wins them a league that no one thought was, was, was possible, or no one truly thought was possible, and they'd never seen him. And I was really kind of, I really kind of like this idea that you turn up to see this new guy but he turns up already a champion, if you see what yeah. I mean. And, and, and there were, I, I, sort of, I kind of really, I, I, I allowed myself to be really dragged into this whole uh, sort of wormhole of an idea. So, so at what point do you become a hero with the fans if the fans haven't seen you? And, and, and then, of course, he comes on. He gets a huge reception when he comes on. They're chanting Uruguay or Uruguay or him. Kieran Trippier comes on, by the way, with him and gets a really nice reception as well. Not, obviously, on the same level. And, of course, they have seen Kieran Trippier play before. Um, but but that, that was really nice. And, and yeah, I think it was about the, the occasion more than the game. One very brief thing on the game, I suppose, is just to say that Atletico Madrid won 1-0, which is very Atletico. But if you're looking for something new, I thought Rodrigo de Paul was, uh, was very, very good indeed. Um, lots of things we haven't had time to talk about on today's uh, podcast. If you become a patron at patreon.com forward slash TSFB, you could ask us a question about whatever it is that we've missed out that you were desperate to, to hear Sid talk about. Uh, we have a Q&A pod out for patrons every single week during the season at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. That will be out for patrons tomorrow. We'll have a bonus podcast out for patrons on Thursday, talking transfers, looking ahead to match day three as well. Um, I do my almost daily 
morning paper reviews about four or five times a, a week looking at the uh, looking at the front pages plus coming up soon we'll also have once phil and sid are back from holiday a brand new series of tsfp presents coming up as well all that for patrons at patreon.com forward slash tsfp very briefly in the segunda this weekend uh, two wins out of two so far for three teams almeria who beat oviedo sids i'm afraid 2-1 on oh, yeah, uh, friday did you well. watch that Yes, I, well, I watched, the, I watched the first 60 minutes. That was enough. <laughs> at that point, it was more than enough. <laughs> yeah, um, but two wins out of two for Almeria. Also for Wesker, who beat Cartagena 2-0 on Sunday, and Ponferradina, who won 1-0 at Abar. Um, Ibiza's first home game in the Segunda as well ended in a 2-2 draw with uh, Malaga. And that's all from us. Sids, I would say I'll let you get to the beach, but in fact, I'm just letting you get back to, to writing in your Guardian column, aren't I? Yeah, you are, you are. There is one more piece of news from this weekend, which, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Did you hear the Go news on. about Diego Cervero? Oh, yes, yes. Tell the story, please. So, so, so Diego Cervero, and, and obviously this is hideous bias from this podcast, and we are definitely biased, um, as, as most of you will know, is, is very much an icon. In fact, we, we did a TSFP Presents Cult Heroes episode all on him, which uh, go and listen to it if you're a patron because he ends up singing on it, which is which oh, is yes, great. I anyway, that. that's not his greatest <laughs> yes. talent, I have to say. Singing <laughs> no, better, better, better at football, and as it turns out, at literally saving lives, Sid. Yes. So this weekend, his club, Atletico, Atletico San Luqueño, who are from down here where I am on a holiday, not not far from Cadiz, were playing a friendly against Cadiz's B team on um, Saturday morning. Cadiz, their first team, had played on on Friday night, of course. Um, and the, he was getting ready to play this friendly against Cardiff B team and suddenly there's a commotion he's called to the adjoining pitch because they're playing at Cardiff's um, training ground where one of Cardiff's first team players has collapsed Diego Ferrero who is a qualified doctor as well as a, as well as a footballer is literally called to this player's rescue um, and he's fine and he has, he has played his part in I don't actually know because everyone's being very, very coy about saying exactly what happened for all sorts of reasons. Um, but it's clearly very, very serious. Diego Cervero came to the rescue. And now Cadiff, and Cadiff was a club where the fans didn't like Diego at all because he scored against them in the playoffs. And there was a moment in that playoffs when he ostensibly helped a Cadiff player with cramp. But the suggestion was always that actually was he twisting his leg <laughs> to, try and, <laughs> to try and injure him. He's, he's, uh, he's Surely not that, that goes popular. against the, um, the Hippocratic the Oath. Hipp- Hippocratic Oath, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, he, he's not popular or wasn't popular with Cardiff uh, fans. I think he now is. Cardiff players, including Ivan Alejo and, and, and the club itself, um, tweeted their, their thanks to Diego. And there's a, there's a nice photo of him standing with, I think it's three Cardiff players with a Cardiff shirt dedicated to him so so there you go Diego, Diego Ferrero scoring goals and saving lives brilliant nice one Sid uh, more coming up this week as I say for patrons at patreon.com forward slash TSFP uh, we'll be back Kitro should be back with us next Monday uh, for the podcast as always so speak to you then bye bye for now cheerio